Welcome to the Private Matters podcast on behalf of the BAPD with your hosts, Simon Thackeray and Rachel Darby. All views on this podcast, whether relevant or irreverent, are our own and are for entertainment purposes. And there may well be some educational benefit to listening to this as well. Good evening, everyone. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to welcome our guest, Professor Trevor Burke. Now, what you need to know about him is this wonderful man. He's also Northern Irish. So between Trevor, myself and Simon, subtitles can be provided for this if you need it. Between Trevor and you, Simon will be able to understand anything. (laughs) I'm already losing it. (laughs) Thanks again for your agreeing. We'll speak slowly for the client there. Yeah, thank you. We'll speak slowly for the client. Thanks Um, for joining us, Trevor. I'd like to say that Trevor is one of those unicorns in dentistry who is both uh, a a wet-fingered clinician he's a unicorn a wet-fingered clinician and a researcher and academic definitely one of those unicorns so he knows what it's like to be at the coal face and he's also got the knowledge that many of us would dream to one day have so thank you very much for joining us trevor no pressure on me no there's never any pressure (laughs) on these things (laughs) Um, so really, today's topic that we just wanted to discuss, it's been in all of the dental news feeds, it's been on social media so much, and it is the, the ban, the EU banning amalgam and the manufacturing of amalgam from January 2025, so less than a year to go. So what are your views on that, first of all, Trevor? Should it be banned? Well, I I suppose I have to start by saying um, Manchester, in the time I was there, uh, was a hotbed of uh, white fillings and back teeth. Because the first ever white restorative material for back teeth, uh, you're all too young to know what occlusion was. It It was made by ICI, ICI, Imperial Chemical Industries, and they had a place in Macclesfield. So Nairn Wilson, my Sir Nairn, uh, was involved in a clinical trial of the first ever uh, stereocomposite called occlusion, and I started using it in 1996 in my practice in Northern Manchester, because uh, frankly, if I go back 100 years uh, to when I started in dental school, um, and people used to laugh when I said that, but they don't anymore, so there's a message there for me. Um, but um, 100 years ago, uh, in my practice, uh, not even, sorry, the dental school, I said, why are we putting white fillings, sorry, silver fillings in white teeth? I'll get it right eventually. Uh, and that's been in my psyche probably ever since. So in 1996, when this first ever dedicated posterior composite was released, I had a waiting list in my practice of people who wanted to have that. Now, whether they wanted actually a white filling in their teeth uh, or, or not, I don't know. Or whether they wanted it because it didn't have mercury in it. And of course, that's the topical bit of it all now. Um, uh, I, I will never know. But maybe I could tell you that to get into my waiting room in those days, you almost had to be one of the friends of the earth wearing open-toed sandals, chewing a celery stick and drinking orange juice. Because they didn't want they didn't want mercury in their teeth, basically. God. Um, and it went went on went on from there basically, um, and I I suppose 
my practice was predominantly NHS. But I always offered people the chance to have a white filling in their back teeth and started publishing on that. And one of the things we learned was that once you'd had a white filling in one of your back teeth, you would not go back to amalgam, or at least it was very, very unlikely. Yeah. So patient, patients like the idea of it. Um, and of course, it's moved on uh, so much since then. And if we skim past the history, the material improved greatly um, uh, since 1996. Occlusion was okay. Um, and I still uh, get correspondence. I think it'd be published actually in Dental Update of somebody who had an occlusion filling that was 35 years old. Um, but you know, moving on, the materials have definitely improved. But more than that, the bonding agents have improved. Um, so that I really do think that the universal bonding agents today are, you know, they're so much better than anything we had 15, 20 years ago. Um, and frankly, I don't normally stick my neck out, but if anyone's not using a universal bonding agent, then they probably should be thinking seriously about that because not only have you got Nakabashi's way of bonding to teeth, which is micromechanical with the resin, um, but also um, these universals have got um, a, a, a resin in them which uh, facilitates bonding to hydroxyapatite. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got, there for two ways of bonding. You've got belt and braces, and I think they're very good. So the bonding agents, I think, today um, are excellent, um, and the composite materials themselves have improved dramatically since whenever I was a boy. Early composites had a very poor wear resistance. Today's uh, composites have a very fine wear resistance. They're very good. But don't you think one of the issues <clears throat> with composite is the it's very technique-sensitive, and yes. it's... Um, I, I would say not just technique sensitive, it's operator sensitive as well and the style with which you put it in. And of course, that's going to be time consuming. The The big advantage with amalgam is it is, and I'll, I'll use the word, it's a fast and dirty material. You know, anything with mercury in it is, I know when it's in the alloy, it's not necessarily as, as um, concerning, but Anything that contains mercury has the environmental issue. So I can see why there's been the the move towards removing amalgam. I mean, Minimata has been talking about it, and I think it was 2030 that they were going to remove it completely, oh, and EU would brought it forwards. Yeah, but, you see, but, 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 but I never electively removed an amalgam. There's no um, justification for that in the literature or anywhere um, because um, it's never been shown to be toxic towards patients not not at all okay there's maybe a very small amount of mercury vapor uh, released if you're a bruxer or something like that but um there it's, it's certainly not toxic to patients it's the environmental impact um of mercury in dental surgeries and mercury in the waste effluent uh, that is driving it out and you're absolutely right you mentioned Minamata in 2013, uh, and that's when the whole thing started, really. Um, and the initial date that uh, it was going to be banned was never actually set in tablets of stone, but was probably going to be around about 2030. Yeah, it was saying tablets oh, of tablets mercury. Tablets of mercury, it's it Tablets of mercury, definitely. Tablets of mercury. Oh, yes, tablets of mercury. <laughs> but the, um, and yeah. so um, the EC, obviously... Um, um, brought that forward and um, I, I keep on sort of thinking why I think one of the reasons and I'm sure both of you have talked to dentists from around Europe they do a lot more posterior composites than we do 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> the latest research that I could find for you uh, was something that I published again with Sir Nairn and Paul Brunton, who you probably will know as well. Yeah. Uh, you might know him from the Manchester era, um, mm -hmm. Rachel. Uh, but we found that in premolar teeth, this was in 2016, um, there were more posterior composites placed than amalgams, like about 45% to 55%, um, 45% amalgam and 55% composite. And in molars, it was a little bit different. There was a 7% difference uh, in favour of amalgam. So what well, that tells me that although the, you know there's a massive song and dance about this at the minute, um, there's only probably half of our dentists, and things have probably moved on since we published this, um, there's only half of our dentists are going to have to um, have a rethink about their material selection for back teeth. Yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd agree. I mean, I can't remember the last time I placed a a definitive amalgam. I've I've got some amalgam because there are yeah. sometimes those cases where you you know you've just got to repair it. It's it's oh. too deep. You can't, you know, the can't patient, get the isolation. Yeah. yeah, you can't get the isolation. The patient doesn't want to spend the money on a crown mm. or an onlay. You've got a material that's got, a, you know, a hundred odd years worth of research behind it that, as you say, has been proven to be safe. It's the manufacture of it and the disposal of it that we have the issue with. But yeah. when it's, you know, when it's in its alloy form and going into the tooth, there's there's very little thing out there that's as hard wearing. And especially when you say about the older composites, they were quite soft, I remember. Yeah, well, uh, but uh, on the other hand, if we, if we bring ourselves up to date, the, the, the composites of today have a wear resistance very similar to amalgam. It's not it's not better, but it's certainly not worse. Um, but the, you alluded to this. The biggest problem is they take longer to place Yeah, because you've got to go through a bonding step. Um, now, uh, two or three uh, issues ago, I wrote about this in Dental Update because at that time, uh, there were two um, self-adhesive composites. Now, I always said, if I if I ever get to use a self-adhesive composite, I'll be able to retire a happy old soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, I have played with this. Uh, I was involved um, in the development of a, a self-adhesive looting agent called Unisem. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that at 3M, they've been trying to beef that up. All they needed to do, really, was to increase the filler loading so it would be it would behave more like composite rather than a looting agent. The problem is, the more you increase the filler loading, the um, more you decreased the uh, sort of bonding capacity of it. Right. Because you know you 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 were you were you were decreasing the sort of resin component of it. I know they were playing with that, but 3M have actually not got on the market. Um, a self-adhesive um, uh, composite resin, but they've now got four-year data, which I mentioned in this uh, editorial, um, and a really decent uh, clinical trial, a uh, randomized controlled trial of this material, the self-adhesive one, against, um, against a conventional composite. Now, we would all think that the problem would be um, that you'd get stain margins, because yeah. we all know that etching a margin mm -hmm. It gives you a much better margin than not etching it. And ditto if you are not etching it and it's a supposedly self-adhesive material. Uh, but in fact, the margins were, were, were equally good in both the groups. And the only problem that there was with the self-adhesive composite uh, was that it, um, it, it had a little bit of bulk staining. And that obviously has something to do with the resin in it. 
but that was the only problem, and the staining wasn't such that uh, it couldn't be placed. You know, maybe you wouldn't want to place it in the mesia of occlusal of the number four, um, but um, for everything else, it seemed it seemed to be okay. I so did... I thought that was a positive step. But why 3M are not actually releasing it on the market yet? I do not know. Did of it course, have um, the same issues um, of isolation that a normal composite would have? That it, it would have. Right. It would have. And I, I was I was almost going to stop you when you said, you know, you can put an amalgam in uh, in a deep subgingival box uh, and a patient who won't allow you to keep everything dry. Well, I'm not sure that an amalgam in that situation is terribly good anyway. Um, this no is what ever, I wanted to bring up, actually, Trevor. No one's ever shown me. <laughs> that amalgam does well contaminated with blood and saliva. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I was always that's told a, it should be dry. It's a story for another day. But you know, if you had a deep gingival box, and what you could do with your composite is a thing called the proximal box elevation, where you actually um, will fill the box with something like maybe a resin-modified glassonomer. Get that in really quickly. So you don't have to fiddle around with etching and bonding. Uh, and then once you've got the proximal box up to a super gingival level, you can go ahead and place your composite in the usual way. But you know, one of the problems that people don't really address probably properly is that if you've got an amalgam in a deep subgingival box or a composite that's deep uh, without any enamel at the margins, uh, what's the, the patient's got a, a caries problem, haven't they? There's a leakage <laughs> so immediately. Yes. The, 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 the patient's got to be, be given a bit of um, I was going to say rollicking, but counselling is a better word for it, maybe. Um, uh, as no, the no, caries no. have it, stop, stop having five spoonfuls of sugar in their tea. Yeah, I think when you're dealing with cavities that are down to, you know, <laughs> you, you're debating whether you need to be a, a neurosurgeon to actually get to the I bottom know, of the box. It's, 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 never, a, it's never going to be a happy heroic. result. Yeah, you, you're it's talking about going to be heroic. The, but I think but some... if, you're doing this proxim, if you're doing this proximal box elevation, it's going to cost the patient more because you're using up more time, you're using another material, and you know on the bottom of your mind uh, that it's never going to be as good a restoration. Well, you've raised the question uh, of cost there now, and of course one of yeah. the issues is, um, you know, we, we we don't get into the argument um, or the discussion on these of the pros and cons of private dentistry versus NHS dentistry and things like this, but obviously when you're in a time and cost-constrained system, like the NHS, which the government has created. Exactly. Let's face it, the government has created this beast. Yes, Rachel, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. How absolutely are we right. going to restore some of the teeth that would be restored with with amalgam? Because a, well, a, a lot of the maybe, noise is coming from those people who who rightly are having one of their materials removed from their armamentarium potentially. Yep. We're 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 probably jumping ahead too much here, but I'll tell you what I actually wrote. As, as recently as last night, because every month I write an editorial, but maybe not for much longer, but that's another story. Um, we're uh, getting a spoiler here, an exclusive, yeah, Simon. Absolutely. Just you heard look, it first here. Um, any type of dentistry done in a rush is always a compromise. And then, so the problem, of course, is with this ban that the cost of amalgam to import it from India or Mexico, where you can still get it, um, you can't get it from China. China have more or less abandoned mm. um, the manufacture. They have stopped servicing machines that make amalgam. All right. In I the didn't e- know that. In, in, in the EU, and this, I think, is the reason 
why um, the whole thing has been um, brought forward so much. Um, and I can read you what I found out and what I wrote. Um, there is a directive, if you want the number, Medical Devices Regulation, MDR 2017-745. It's come into force in May 2021, bringing much increased safe, legal safety requirements for dental amalgam capsules. Because there's a theory that as the capsule wriggles in its machine, that it's spraying some mercury out of it. So as a result of this, six European manufacturers and distributors have got out of it as of now. Right. Two of these are in the UK. And there's another dozen who are um, going to have their certification ended. And I think wow. this is why they brought it forward, because they weren't going to be able to get it anyway in the EU because of this directive. So, um, you know, the writing was on the wall for dental amalgam. Uh, that's what this has all happened. It, this makes more sense to me. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a, that's a it very does. interesting. That's a very interesting point because a lot of yeah. people have said that. Well, this is an EU decision, and we're no longer in the EU now. Yeah, that's right. We do have a habit, though, sometimes of following what some um, political views uh, would be perceived as being a sensible view. So if if our government decide that this is a sensible thing, then they will naturally follow an EU directive, just because it's a sensible law. Um, and it it actually makes more sense now, what you've just said there, Trevor, that there are these various directives in place that, you know, where are you going to get the amalgam from? How much is it going Indeed. to cost well, to import yeah. the relatively small amounts that you're going to need from India or Australia? Um, or places and that are will still the rest of the world it. follow? I yeah, think Australia, Australia have stopped it. Have they? Because they manufacture it, right? Because I thought yeah. that used to be SDI, one of the companies. It was, um, yeah, absolutely right. So if they've if they've stopped it, there's another of the routes in, gone. Yeah, and of course, uh, for Rachel there from Northern Ireland, uh, which is bound by the Windsor Agreement, um, they're oh, not. Oh, Trevor, they're, bringing they're, this they're, up. They're, we're not going to bring politics into it now. <laughs> that that is um, that's a fact of life. That they're not going to be able to use it the same as they can't buy it or uh, or, or manufacture it in the EU. So, but I, I think this is why the, um, uh, the I think this is why it's happened so quickly mm. because they found that they probably weren't going to be able to buy amalgam any longer anyway, and because so so few people were using it. Now, what I wrote last month was, um, some countries in the EU will object. As they do for most things, like there was a thing about sending money to Ukraine recently, yeah. Um, and Hungary objected. You'll have read that in the news or listened to it. Yeah, and there was a sop, obviously, because they backed down on that. And somebody must have said, Well, we'll give you some money. I don't know the facts, uh, but the same <laughs> allegedly, the same thing has now happened with this um, uh, ban from uh. Uh, January 2025 and I'll quote from you this is something that I only saw yesterday, it's only released yesterday um, it did, the Council of the EU maintained its, the Commission's proposed date for the total phase out in the EU of the 1st of January 2025, however it introduced a two year derogation for those member states where low income individuals would otherwise be socio-economically disproportionately affected by the phase-out date of the 1st of January 2025. And uh, these countries can apply 
and justifying their use of amalgam for another two years and apply that they intend to implement the, 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 the phase-out in the 1st of January 2027. So this is exactly what we would have thought was going to happen. There's been a bit of a fudge, and there's definitely a softening of the original ruling, um, which then keeps everybody in the EU happy. That's interesting. Uh, so, um, they've also then, the, the council maintained the prohibition to export dental amalgam from the 1st of January 2025 as proposed, but it agreed to ban the manufacturing and import in the EU from the 1st of January 2027. Right. So it's not just quite as um, perhaps um, urgent as was maybe first thought, but you know, yeah. have to accept that the writing's on the wall. And my point is that Sorry, I'm, I hope I'm not going on too much. No, this is absolutely no, perfect. No. This is fascinating. Yeah. My, my, my point is, amalgam is without question going to rise in price. You have alluded to it, Simon. I've talked about it. Um, composite takes longer to place until we get a self-adhesive material. Yeah, But it will take longer because we've got to do our selective enamel etching, we've got to do our bonding, and then we've got to place it in layers. So it's going to the composite is going to cost more. But if the cost of dental amalgam goes up, then maybe it will become less cost-effective or maybe just the same cost as a resin composite posterior filling. Yeah, and uh, then... In, in, which, in, in which case, um, you know, uh, the costs equalise. But for the NHS, somebody's got to pay for it. Exactly. And perhaps um, this is a wake-up call um, for the government to actually decide if they're actually going to have anybody doing fillings and back teeth, they've got to improve improve the funding. Um, yeah. I, I, I wrote this is going to publish in the next dental update with you and McCall and I both wrote it. Um, uh, perhaps the lack of availability or amalgam or its increased cost could be considered the death knell of NHS dentistry. On the other hand, maybe it's a wake up call yeah. to say that we actually need to jolt the funders of the NHS dentistry into a realisation that without adequate funding, all treatment's going to be a compromise. And we all know that it's been a compromise for as long as we can remember. Absolutely. But it's going to be an even bigger compromise now. Um, and so maybe, um, you know, if, 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 if the government want to have a, an NHS dental service with people having their posterior cavities filled, They've got to start thinking about paying for it. Exactly. I mean, do you think that there'll be an increase in the use of glass ionomers as well, a result? Uh, uh, shall we? Shall we look at glass ionomers now? Yeah, let's look at glass ionomers. Um, yes, yes. Go on, please. <laughs> so, um, you may or may not have used a material called Equia Forty. Heard it's of it? Absolutely. Heard it's of it, yeah. handled beautifully. You probably will have used Fuji Nine, yep. as most people yep. have. Um, but Equia Forty is a derivative of that. With smaller particles, better, more reactive glass, uh, and various other things. The manufacturers GC make quite a lot of um, claims about it having better wear resistance um, and increased packability and better bond strength and all this sort of thing. Um, now, uh, in the 50th anniversary issue of Dental Update last year, May, I wrote an article about you know 50 years of glass onomer. Where are we now? And um, I then quoted a lot of the work that's been done at Equia 40, uh, which is actually very, very positive. Right. Would I place it in a wide box um, uh, in, in a class two? Answer, probably not. 
because its tensile strength may not be enough to withstand the sort of twisting motion that class twos tend to get. Glass alumnumers never had a problem with their compressive strength. No. So, you know, you can st stand on them, they don't break. Uh, but the twisting sort of forces that fillings become under um, is the biggest problem. But Equia 40 seems to be coming out pretty well in all of this, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't got time to go through the, the paper now, but that's exactly what it's, it, that's exactly what it's saying. And while I was looking for other things about the posterior competent, I've got another paper in writing. There's a paper um, by a woman called Catherine Heck um, from Munich, which is a very, very good research group. Um, and they have a six-year randomized controlled trial now of Equifil, which is um, um, a successor to Fuji 9. Equifil has got a resin coating on it because the resin coating, to some degree, improves the wear resistance of it. Um, and at six years, the highly viscous glass on our cement it can be an acceptable restoration material for smaller class two cavities. Smaller? That, that sounds smaller. an ideal replacement then. It for... does. I so, think we know, need to go and buy shares in Equia 40, to yeah. be honest. You, do, you need to get your shares. January you 20 get, You need to get your shares in GC. Yeah. I think so, yeah. They're, they're, they're a very good company as well. You know, they make nice materials. And um, But this Equia 40, um, the, uh, the evidence base is building up. And I think what I said at the end of the paper that I wrote, Another one or two really um, strong, um, well-designed clinical trials would make me feel um, that it would be it would be a material that I would be happy to use in back teeth. I have used it certainly in occlusals um, uh, and the odd class too, but they're pretty small. Then you would say, but on the other hand, if you um, if it's only a small class two, probably you can do a competent pretty easily yeah. in that anyway. Do you um, think the UK universities will rush to do these clinical trials then for twenty twenty seven? Because about forty percent of clinical trials are are funded by companies anyway, and I would oh. think. Let me just see this particular paper, um, who um, paid for it, but it may well be that it was GC. Um, <laughs> that's it, that's it's always a, follow the money. Um, I suppose it's one way of getting it out into the, you know, the the, the knowledge of the um, the profession, is when people like yourself using it, and with the you know the authority that you've got to say actually this is a good alternative, and I yeah. think one of the problems will be is let's let's just say we follow the EU and it's banned on the first of first uh, of January. There's got to be now it's manufacturers banned. Uh, yes, and it's. Silver band, yeah, yeah. So, getting hold of it may well be a problem. Yes, indeed. Um, now, there'll be some people who will probably be buying it up in in quantities, so they've got a bit of a stockpile. <laughs> I've already I, mentioned it, haven't I, they? I think, I think, you know, that that wouldn't be a bad idea. But I think there's a lot of people who are concerned that they won't have something acceptable and i think that's the word i, I want to use is acceptable to use because we could all turn around and say well if you're just putting in a you know a, i think a bad amalgam is often better than a bad composite or a poorly <laughs> placed composite um because it's probably slightly more forgiving for some <laughs> people but what becomes the acceptable alternative if amalgam does disappear and i think you've just answered that with you know, watch this space because you watch know, the space on this. Uh, they call them glass hybrids. 
Right. And, and I think that the it is a, it's still a glass on our it it has got the glass on our style of adhesion to tooth. Um it's um uh got other properties like fluoride release, although no one's ever proven that the fluoride released from a glass onomer um, gives you karyostasis. It doesn't. But it maybe allows you to sleep better in your bed at night if you've got you know, a, bit of, <laughs> a bit of glass onomer down in that deep subgingival box. Yeah. Because it's um, it's going to release a little Psychological bit Psychological material. Yes, indeed. So, you know, it's, you it's there holding the fort down there, isn't it? Absolutely. Saving that. Like, indeed, indeed. Send load uh, to the crestal bone. Indeed. <laughs> Um, so I, I think it's good. The, the, the problem, you see, and this is where maybe uh, the, the likes of me have spent a, a bit of time today looking through journals. So I came across, across this one, 2020 Journal of Dentistry. Um, but that's, it's a very good research journal, but not many people read it other than academics. Uh, but I thought, right, I'm going to have to uh, look for another one or two of these that will be Equia Forty. And then I think it's it's something that you could actually think of recommending pretty pretty strongly, really. It's easy to place. So it's easy to place. It's quick. I think so, that'll be the so. key. It what what will be needed in a in a system constrained uh, or a, or a cost constrained system like the NHS will be something that is effective, can be placed quickly. I mean, it depends. Getting into the political side, whether this government or any government has got the um the desire to change the system um because it, yeah. it's working for them other than the fact that they get in the bad press that there's no access um but in reality there's never enough access for all the people because only 50 no, percent no. of them go at any any point do in you, time you know the, the, you, you don't have to answer this but do you think that governments over the years have decided that the demise of NHS dentistry is not going to lose them an election. I agree entirely with that. Yes, because because um, if 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 they thought that, then obviously they would they'd fund it better, and they wouldn't have the dreadful UDA system, which you know has taken since two thousand and six. It was denigrated in two thousand and nine by the late great Jimmy Steele's report, yeah. um, and um, they abandoned the, the 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 trials of it. But a year and a half ago, absolutely, yeah. Her dentist who had spent such a lot of time on that um, were were shafted. Uh, but you know, you say it's a, it's a cost control system. Even in your um, academy, a British Association of um, Private Dentistry, you know, people are are, are going to look at costs, especially absolutely, these days. Yeah, yeah um, we have to and because not 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 everybody will be able to afford to flash out uh, splash out on on a lot of um, sort of dental treatment. And or or maybe two hundred two hundred fifty pounds on a posterior composite or a glass on well, money money's tied everywhere. Everybody's yes. squeezed business yeah. I mean, costs you, as well. You've hit the nail on the head there because I, you know I was looking today at some of the prices that you know I'm charging now compared to when I started charging sort of privately when I converted in you know, two thousand and six. And actually, you look at it and you think, "Wow, this is a big, big change." And I do feel, I do feel sorry for some people who can't afford what we provide, because if we yeah. are going to be the only solution to getting some dentistry, there are some people. I mean, there's some people who won't afford it, and they won't afford it out of principle. And that's mm -hmm. different to people who can't afford it. 
Um, but I, I think there's, there, there comes a time where the government has to take full responsibility if they're going to have some form of social dental care. It has to be funded correctly and appropriately. And whether that then means that you have a core service of various things that are and aren't available, so at least it's you know it's out there that you cannot have this done on the NHS end of. There's no grey area. There's no ifs and buts. That's not available. Not down to somebody's interpretation. Are you, are you thinking of, of your poor service as just being the sort of relief of pain or treatment of abscess? Even like, like um, so, what so, so the Republic of Ireland up, have. Somebody can stand up in the house and wave a bit of paper saying nobody's dying from you know dental. I, I dental think disease. Well, periodontists would tell you differently, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, yeah, let's, let's, let's not get into that. That's, yeah. topic, That's um, another one. I think my view on it would be a form of provision for people who were struggling financially and socially that you could have some basic kinds of treatment maybe not some of the advanced stuff you know along the lines of you know is it absolutely necessary to root treat posterior teeth in a cost limited system the republic system? of ireland has something like that they don't root treat uh, root canal molar teeth i think you might get two fillings a year that the state will pay for any more than that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, you get two fillings a year. Systems like that. In in, in certain groups of the population, that's not going to really solve their dental problems, is it? No, so I think you've got to... But then you're forcing prevention onto them. It could be forced prevention other way. You've got to come up with a a viable system that doesn't really, you know, penalise people. At the moment, it does sort of penalise them because they can't get hold of the... Um, you know access to dentists and the people who really need it can't get it when they need it um so do you have a, a limited system and of course this is where the the you go full circle back to amalgam amalgam as a was a relatively cheap material cost effective easy to put in place and did a job for a a, a fair number of years. I've got mm-hmm. patients wandering around with amalgams that are forty odd years old. I didn't place well, I, them. I've, I've got some that are I've got some that are pretty old. But on the other hand, the, the other way of looking at it, of course, is how many fractured cusps have resulted oh. from uh, amalgam placement because the cavities had to be too big. Yeah, you know, or, I've got, I've got several fractured premolar cusps because of MOD amalgams. Yeah. Um, and uh, would it happen with an MOD composite? Maybe it would, I don't know. No one's ever actually done a clinical trial on that, so and they're unlikely to either. Well, I, I mean, that, that is an in, that's an interesting, interesting point because we still don't have as much evidence with composites, do we? Because they haven't been around as long as amalgam. Well, but... you see, this is... The, um, uh, the, the reason I was looking at all these things is because I've written a paper. It's called From Robinson's Rules to a 13 Million Restoration Database, which I've got. And a chap who was a statistician down the old Denver Practice Board set this up, and he and I have analysed it to death, really. Um, okay, this was payment data right. um, on, uh, on, on amalgams and uh, composites and front teeth. And it was readapted the payment data into survival data uh, but you know as as uh, as things have gone on and competence got older uh, i've got a paper here randomized controlled 30 year follow-up 30 years right <laughs> it shows my uh, it shows my ignorance then as to the you know the the, the actual longevity because 
I suppose for some people, because it's a developing material still, you know, amalgam has hit the point where apart from the high copper alloys, it sort of it evolved and that's it. It's like designing the wheel. Yeah. Once yeah. it's been designed, it's been designed, whereas composites are evolving all the time. Um, well, maybe maybe not as much now, Simon, as they did, you know, um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think I think they've reached a, a kind of um, almost peak in terms of their performance. Right. And what people are doing now is tweaking things like, for example, and this is the other thing that we should mention, uh, the bulk fills yeah. uh, looks so good because the filler particles in them are more or less translucent, which is what allows the light to filter down through the material. So you've got five millimeter depth of cure in virtually all of these. Therefore, you can slam these in pretty quickly now. Obviously, you need to make sure you've got a decent curing light mm. because if you haven't, um, uh, then uh, it'll, it'll not cure to five millimeters. Uh, but um, they, you know, I've said quite a few times in lectures on posterior composite, maybe they are, are sort of amalgam replacement until we eventually get a self-adhesive composite what do they? What are their performance like with regards to expansion and contraction, though? When they they they're that, so well, heavy duty, that, 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 their seed factor. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good point. Um, you need to bought one uh, that's got a low shrinkage stress. I um, think there's G, one by GC that if, it, if, if it's a conventional bis GMA resin, um, the shrinkage stress might be reasonably high, but certainly three M have developed resins which don't stress the tooth. Right. The shrinkage stress is a function of two things. One, the actual polymerization contraction, and two, the stiffness of the material. So a stiff material will stress cusps more than yeah. one that's not so stiff, like, for example, a glass armor. Uh, but the, with these materials, uh, if you've got a low shrinkage stress, they will not stress the tooth. Uh, and I, I used to have a machine called a cusp deflection machine. That's a posh name for putting two probes um, on the cusp of a tooth in the lab, filling it and watching what happened. Because this machine would measure it to 0.1 of a micron. It disappeared to Dublin, actually, when one of my colleagues went to work there. So, um, It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fine, please return. And, and they've, done, they've done work on that there, uh, which shows that these um, uh, bulk fill composites actually perform very well in terms of not stressing cusps. So really, we don't need to worry too much about the demise. There are alternatives, and possibly some of the alternatives to amalgam may well be released sooner, if if appropriate. Well, these well, bulk even, fills are already out there. I know that I've got an email the other day. I use the bulk fill, and I quite like it. I think I use one by GC. It's the hairy one, the fibre-reinforced one. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And um, it just takes away that worry about the sea factor. Why, why, why do they put hairs in it, uh, Rachel? For the crack. I, don't <laughs> I think it was. I don't know the full science behind it, Trevor. You've completely triggered me going back to third-year dental material. I don't, I don't uh, know I what just, hairs. I'm only asking um, you. But it's I, don't know what I think it's the, the resin strands or something like that. Uh, but yeah. you still have, because it's it's hairy, it will take up stain, so you still have to place your traditional compass on top of it. So the final two millimetres would still be your nice... Um, shaped and carved composite um, but you can do the bulk fill yeah. you I create your do... composite wall create it in the class one bulk fill it and then final two millimeters is composite I, I could be very facetious and say they bought a, a company that made fibers <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's possibly 
Yeah, don't ever, uh, don't ever <laughs> underestimate. I, should, I, should, I shouldn't say that because no. I like the people at GC. They're a very good company. Uh, there, are, there, um, there are a lot of very one, good and ethical companies out there actually producing very, very good materials, yeah. aren't there? Um, um, I like companies, though, that actually do clinical trials yeah. on their materials. And uh, GC are very, very good at that. They've, they have funded a lot of stuff on Equiofil and Equia 40. 3M are another lot who have done quite a lot of clinical trial work. Yeah, they don't want um, us. I, really, I don't like those materials. And I think I've been guilty of being drawn in in the past where you are the clinical trial. We brought this brilliant new material out. Oh, yeah, and you use you it. And then it expands that's, that's, like yeah, nothing on earth and cracks all the cusps off. And... No, that's an, that's iniquitous. You don't you don't want to use something that uh, no. hasn't had any sort of research to back no. it up. I, I want something I... that's got some provenance. Do you think we should discuss maybe potentially the elephant in the room, the one group that we've ignored, which are the patients and what their perception is going to be? Because already patients have been told amalgam's bad, it's going to, you know, the mercury's bad, it's going to release in your mouth, and some dentists are very, very guilty of this. It's going to, you know, make you like the mad hatter because he was meant to have mercury poisoning, despite it being around for over 100 years. Then you're not allowed to place it in the pregnant woman for a theoretical risk yeah. to the fetus. Not allowed to break, place it in children. That was a few years ago they brought yeah, that, that's right. that law 16. in. Yep. And could they now be coming in, you know, oh, well, you're fine to place uh, an amalgam filling on the 30th of December. In their mind, I know it's not a placement ban on the 1st of January, but in their yeah. mind, oh, you can place it on the 30th, I, but not on the 1st. Well, I don't want that in my mouth. I want you to do the composite. You need to provide it. Well, Because FDA, you, you are meant to do what's clinically necessary. Yeah, the FDA in America have also um, increased bans on placing amalgam in patients with multiple sclerosis, uh, and quite a raft of other illnesses, uh, which which involve the nervous system. Um, now, what I don't know is whether where they got the evidence from for that. I was going to say, what the is the evidence? Evidence for, evidence for pregnant women and children. There's none on that either. I think they were a convenient group that they could choose, um, because no one's ever sort of justified it for any other reason. It was, it's also a group that you would probably struggle to get any form of ethical approval to do research on as well. Yes, you're, you're absolutely are. That's a very good point, Simon. Um, yeah. So, you you know, it's quite easy to say, well, we'll ban it in them because nobody will ever find out whether it should have been or not. Uh, that's Only Dr. Mengele would. <laughs> so, so why don't you think as a country we should now bite the bullet and say, right, we're going to move into the modern world, which is not going to have amalgam in it for a, a long time for, for, for forever as of whenever personally the, I, I, know, the, the, the BDA are, are, are up in arms about it obviously because yeah. they they want to protect the the people who um, primarily uh, using it are, are, are using it and who patients who need it um, but you know, they, they do say um, um, we've stressed that there are currently no alternative restored materials that compete with amalgam on speed of placement or longevity, speed of placement I would agree with. Longevity yeah. is wrong. Yeah, um, there's plenty of papers around now which show, um, you know, if, if you think of, there's not a lot of clinical trial work been done on amalgam in the last twenty five years, yeah. um, but I think if you said there was an annual failure rate of two and a half or three percent for amalgams, um, composite, I've written a, a, a couple of review papers, it is approximately the same. It's right. not any worse. Wow. 
I think a lot of people are choosing to use composite now out of choice because as they I suppose as they want to skill up and move their practices towards the private market yeah. then that, that it's it's quite easy to define the difference between an NHS silver filling and a private white filling but when yeah. the if the silver filling becomes unavailable those practices are potentially <laughs> That, that's a quite a difficult situation for them. And as you've said earlier, this is where the government either needs to bite the bullet and start funding it properly or turn around and say, well, we are, we're not having a system. Whether that's too much of a political hot potato, I don't know. But it could be a vote. I don't think it's going to be a vote loser this time, do you? No, it's not, no. <laughs> Everything well, else is going to fail. The, into... <laughs> you could see the government just going, suck it up and you yeah. know, revert back to the Hippocratic Oath do no harm are we going to harm the patients by refusing to do something or take it out or have a crown instead i could probably see that any government will be doing that it's not a vote winner but it's not a vote loser either is it within with dentistry and i think we have to remember our position as i'm very cynical I've, i've i've said this though but when you've got limited funding for things in healthcare dentistry doesn't tend to be one of the massive life-saving things and if there's a choice between i I say it regularly and it's emotive but if there's a choice between funding cancer care for children and fillings in back teeth on adults well really morally ethically where would the money be better spent yeah no no that's not a point that that anyone could argue with yeah and and Mm -hmm. i think really that's that's been my pragmatic view on yes we need a properly funded system if we're going to have one so you know i think that that is an argument that's going to run and run and run until there either is a very good Mm -hmm. system or there is no system whatsoever i Um, think we should be rephrasing this going would you rather spend money curing children's cancer or placing uh, fillings in adults back teeth to would you rather spend money on dentistry or do you want to spend it on smoking and drinking and gambling and um, housing yeah. illegal immigrants and whatever multitude of things that the government spent on that should be what the comparison is yeah. well, whether you're standing as an, an MP Rachel <laughs> I'd be assassinated Trevor I'd be assassinated <laughs> you, 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 you'd, be, you'd be very good you've got a lot of good she things would, to say that's why she's our president <laughs> you're the president she's the president I am yeah. Oh, congratulations! I didn't know I that. Know. I should. I should have. I, 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 I should have looked you up. <laughs> well, I, I forgive. You. I think. So now that I've got the president here, can I make a point? So there's a guy called Mark Lasky. He's a really good guy. I examined his PhD in my Megan, and it was a really good one. And what he had or put together was a, a data set. In the Netherlands, 67 general dentists, um, a third of a million restorations between them, and 75,000 uh, patients. Wow. And they were able to follow these fillings for 10 years. Wow. You're the BAPD. Wouldn't it be mm-hmm. great if you could get uh, a lot of your members to actually start collecting data? Um, and the, it would be so powerful that is a fantastic idea. information from you guys um, on, uh, on, on, uh, on how long fillings last. Yeah, I think that would be a very good idea, especially since it most people be. are computerized now. So extracting that data is not necessarily a difficult 
a difficult yeah. task and yeah. say, okay, lower left sixes, how many have I done this year? How yeah. many have been redone within yeah. a five-year period? I think most of the software companies would be able to help yeah, you well, with that. It's, so. it's, it, 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 the, the data from one's own practice computer is the most powerful data that you can present to a patient. Absolutely, absolutely. I do have one question to ask before we completely end. Who do we think is going to win the Six Nations? Because and provided England doesn't win, and provided yeah, the other nation is happy. No, 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 no. That's the, the only the, political the, bit you've mentioned, and, isn't it? And the, the, the French, the French are playing their three matches not in Paris. The first one's in Marseille on Friday night. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And then the, the second one's in Lyon. I don't know where the third one is. Well, Friday night will determine the winner, in my mind. I yeah. think you, I think you might well be right. Ireland and France were robbed in the World Cup. Yeah. I can't get. I still can't get over the fact that England came third. I didn't even get the English. <laughs> well, well uh, we, we, we all we all would pretend to agree with you. Anyway, You're speaking Rich. as an Englishman. It's like, what the hell happened there then? Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> so it, 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 will, it will be at least interesting. It will. It will. As, as it always is, the World Cup was interesting, but it was a disappointment. Yeah, it was a bit actually. Yeah. If Sexton had kicked that penalty, which he would have kicked ninety nine percent of the time. It might have been a different result. I think they were. Similarly, if if the, the French fullback had kicked the conversion, I think that was the problem they had, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I have but, to say that um, France South Africa match was just so exciting. That was, was the match. That was the Ireland match of the versus tournament. New Zealand was very defensive, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. just got tired at the end. But there we go. Yeah. Oh well. Well, never underestimate New Zealand. I should make a little tribute, really, to my old mate Lewis McKenzie, who sadly oh, yes. passed away just before yeah. Christmas. Yeah. He's written probably the last ever paper on dental amalgam. It's published in Dental Update, September twenty twenty one. It's a very good read, and actually does show us why we've been using dental amalgam for one hundred and twenty five years, maybe longer than that, because it has been a good material. But you know, his days are numbered. And we've actually now got to move on. I think that's I, I, that would be my message. I think that's a perfect it's message really to end tribute. with. It's a lovely tribute. 